Turn to your Bible, Pew Bibles, page 541. That's the, the blue Bible, unless you bring your own. Psalm 24, 1 to 10. And Psalm 24 is often used uh, to describe the, the ascension of Christ into glory, and certainly it refers to that. But actually, it's really speaking of, of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into the world as, as the God-man and the world, the gates of the world could not hold him back, but he came into it. Psalm 24, page 541 in your pew Bibles. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? And we could ask, who is this Jesus Christ the King? He's the Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. Stop and think about that. Amen. Hallelujah is right. And then Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8. As we make our way through what we're calling the being attitudes... Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8, which is page 962. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The grass withers and the flowers fade away, but the word of our God stands forever, to which you say together, Hallelujah, and thanks be to God. Sometimes pastors do these kinds of things. I, I think about the most important texts of Scripture for our day. Of course, there's so many of them, 66 books of them. Uh, but, but some of the ones that stand out in my mind, the things we most, most need to hear as Christians in our day. Number one, 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. We really need to hear, and all incidentally means all, <laughs> to the glory of God. The second one is Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 22. Cease from man whose breath is in his nostrils, for of what account is he? Wow. For a man-centered culture, that, that's huge for us to be reminded of. The third one is this, Ezekiel 18, verses 30 and 31. What does our culture need to hear? Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest 
iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed, and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? When you can say the heart of the matter in religion is the matter of the heart, you're not far off from what's right, because the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And, and, and there's kind of a riddle here, okay? Because on the one hand, only God can give a new heart. Ezekiel 36, 26, I will give you, I will give you, I will give you, I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And, and folks, if, if you need to have heart surgery, you don't do it on yourself. Okay? So only God can do this. On the other hand, and here's the riddle, you must get a new heart. Again, Ezekiel 18 and verse 30, repent. Turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you've committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. We pray in Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Restore a right spirit in me. So only God can give it, but you must get it. Now, brothers and sisters, if that's an absolute necessity in the Christian life. It's why when Jesus speaks to Nicodemus, Nicodemus was used to doing things. I mean, Nicodemus was a religious leader. He was probably on a fast track to be a bigwig with the Pharisees and that kind of thing. And his emphasis was on doing, 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 doing. And so Jesus says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born again, which you can't do for yourself. How did you contribute to your birth? You didn't. But Nicodemus doesn't get it. How can a man be born, come from his mother's womb when he's old. And, and Jesus doesn't even bother to answer the question. Now, probably Nicodemus didn't know what to say anyway. He says, no, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. This is not something that you can do on your own. You must be born again. But you must be born again. Why? If you're not, Jesus says you are like, he says this in Matthew 23, you're like, you're like a teacup or a coffee cup, where you've had your frothy Nespresso, and what's left is sludge, and it's dirty inside the cup. And if you wash the outside of your cup, even if you use bleach, you're not cleaning the cup. And Jesus said, that's what you're like by nature. There's all the sludge of sin inside, and yet you want to just clean the outside by doing some supposedly good things. No, 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 no. You must be born again. You must have a new heart. And then he even goes on to drive it in, and he says, you're whitewashed tombs. By nature, that's what we all are. We may have pretty monuments in our bodies inside dead men's bones. So that's why Jesus emphasizes over and over and over again, you have to have a new heart. Now, I say this as a Calvinist, as someone who is reformed and who loves the doctrines of grace. At this point, I think that we can be a little bit warped. We'll say, well, 
how can I get a new heart unless I have a new heart that desires a new heart? There you go. There's the way some Reformed people think. How can I do this when I can't do it? Well, that's exactly the same way Nicodemus spoke. There's that emphasis, whereas the Lord says, get yourself a new heart. You have a responsibility to get yourself a new heart. And, and, and how does that come from Christ? Is you'll find out Christ when he came into history. And that's the essence of the New Covenant, folks. You know, some people who think the essence of the New Covenant is you no longer mark out children and households as part of the covenant. That's not that New Covenant. Come on. The New Covenant is Christ came into the world. And the way grace works since Christ came into the world is inseparably connected, as you'll find out, with having a new heart, okay? And, and so Christ gives you, he does what? He gives you his own heart. So I've often said, if you're going to get a new heart, you have to have a donor, and the Lord Jesus is the universal donor. You come to him, and he gives you that new heart, okay? And now, Matthew 5 and verse 8. That's the way to blessedness. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And we're going to open that up a bit because I want you to look at the heart for just a moment and what, what this pure heart is. But the focus here is more on what it does. And so we're going to look at the second place, at the spiritual blood, that is the, 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 what the Holy Spirit comes with, the spiritual blood that that heart pumps. In the third place, I want to give you an example of a big challenge to this in our day. Just one, I could give you many, but an example of the big challenge to this purity of heart that we have in our day. And you don't want to leave out the grand incentive, which I hope is your greatest desire. Is your greatest desire to see God? If it's not, then you have absolutely the wrong priority. Your desire ought to see the God who made you, in whom you live and move and have your being, and see him with a smile upon you. All right, so we've got a lot to do in the time it's here. Um, first of all, let's, let's look at this pure heart. And, and it is speaking of a, of a moral purity. And, and, it, and that is, as we've said, it's a gift of God, folks. Um, to illustrate it, it's sort of like we do with election, you know, election people, I don't understand, you know, if, if I'm elect, why does the Lord call me in your illustration is you've got a, you've got a, the doorway here, okay, the doorway says, whosoever will may come, you go through the door, you're, you're, no, it's only of grace, but you go through the door, you look up above it on the other side, and it says chosen from the foundation of the world, okay, that's the way you think of election. The same way with a new heart, the Lord says, you get a new heart. And so you go through the door, who is Christ, and look up, and the Lord says, I'll give you a new heart. So this is the way we look at the moral purity. But, 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 but what, what is it? What, what is this new heart? And I want to frame this for Thanksgiving weekend, because we don't think of this the way we should at all. If the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart, then we ought to think a lot more about the heart than we do. What's a, what's a new heart? What's connected with a new heart? And ask yourself, do you have a new heart? 
A new heart has new desires. The desire is above all things for the glory of God. And it has new delights. Its joy is in God and in his work in Christ. It's a heart that is, has new feelings in it. Feelings of sin and guilt. Feelings of forgiveness and righteousness in Christ. And it's a heart that, that, if it will, is nourished on new food. It feeds on the Word of God. The Holy Spirit must continue to strengthen that heart and make it beat. But, but that's the new food of a new heart. There's new habits with a new heart. I, I want to read your Word. I want to sing your praise. I, I want to be with your people. I, I want to obey you. So there's new habits with a new heart. And there's a new home with a new heart. That, that's the, the challenge because a believer is a stranger and a pilgrim in the earth. We're here, but our citizenship is really in heaven. So being born again is also translated to be born from above. And that's why there's that yearning to be with the Lord in glory. There's a yearning to see God. If you have a, a pure heart, you desire to see God. And then the Lord says, He'll put a new spirit within you. And in and, and most contexts there, that means the Holy Spirit himself. He's not replacing your human spirit, but he fills you. And that's the new spirit that is put within you. What, what is that new spirit? You live as a child of God, do you? So that you can say, God is my father. Or do you live as a slave, <coughs> thinking that your whole Christian life is just tasks that you perform to a cruel master. I hope not. We have the spirit of adoption, right? By whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The focus is not on self when you have a new heart. The focus is on God. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. You don't focus on your rights because while we're free in Christ, we also take his yoke upon us. And while we have rights, we don't focus on those rights. You ever ask yourself, what are God's rights? That would change our whole culture's view of the body. If instead of saying, what do I want to do with my body and my rights? What does God want to do with my body? What are his rights? And, and, and a new spirit and a new heart will say those things. Not my honor, but God's honor. To him be the honor and the glory forever and ever. That's what a new spirit says. Not fear. Do you live your Christian life out of a constant dread of God? Well, if Jesus is gentle and lowly and calls you to yourself, it's not fear, it's love. And it's gratitude that you have for God. You don't want to run away from God as Adam and Eve did. You want to run to him. He drew me and I ran after him, the writer, one of the prophets says. And you're not suspicious and dreading of God. There's a certain confidence and joy that you have all the time. Even when dark clouds of difficulties pass, they kind of cover the sun of these things, but the Lord is still there. And even with sometimes suspicion and a little bit of dread, it's overcome by confidence and joy. Is that your heart? 
I suggest that since that is a gift of God, that be a big part of our thanksgiving, to just thank God for the new heart that he's given us, that purity of heart that's spoken of here, that will fuel your thanksgiving. Now, um, and, and incidentally, if you want to know, in, in my opinion, what the most beautiful expressions of a new heart are, read the Song of Solomon. And it is a love manual of a husband and a wife, but it's first of all Christ and his church. And, and you, have the, you have the church that, that says, I go to his banqueting house, and his banner over me is love. And he, she invites her lover, the groom, King Jesus, to come to her. And he does come to her, and he revels in her. And, and, and he says, in a beautiful language, he says of his bride, you are black, but beautiful, my love. Isn't that so much what we are as Christians? By nature, sin darkens everything. But Jesus cleanses us and makes us lovely. So anyway, we could go on and on and on about that. Song of Solomon is, is a picture of the heart of, of the beloved and, and the heart of its bride. Okay, now, in the second place, the spiritual blood that it pumps. Now, what's the difference here? Well, in the being attitudes, remember that we've gone from the focus on the individual, uh, the poor in spirit, uh, those who are uh, mourning, those who are meek. And that's very individual experience. You don't, you don't be meek for someone else. You're meek, self-controlled, under pressure, and so on. Those are very individual things. And then the Beatitudes, the being attitudes, begin to focus us outward hungering and thirsting for righteousness. It's doing the right thing in the world and before God. Merciful, it's, it's giving yourself in such a way that you help others. And so pure in heart, while it has its root in what we've just talked about, a new heart, what this means here is undivided devotion to God. I'll show you from the scriptures in a moment. But it's it's undivided devotion to God. It's how you deal with others in the world. And that's a fascinating statement. The way you best deal with others in the world is to have an undivided heart of loyalty to God. And I want that to sink in. Because we can say, I will become all things to all men, that by all means that I might save some, which means you throw all principles out the way. Paul goes on and he says, even to those who are without law, I'm still under law to Christ. Okay, so, so this will come back to this, but you still have undivided, and that's the way you are most useful in the world, by your having an undivided loyalty to God as did Daniel in Babylon, even though it was prohibited to pray to anyone other than the leader of Babylon. Daniel went up to his room and he opened the windows so people could see, not that they would see him, but he did it so he could have his eye looking in the direction of where God would dwell in Jerusalem. And he prayed three times a day, just was his habit. And that's why Daniel was most useful in Babylon, because of his undivided loyalty to God. We'll come, again, we'll come back. Very important 
in our application. But point is, you say, well, how do you get this from the scriptures? Okay, undivided loyalty to God. Well, look at Mark. We're going to look at four texts. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 22, first of all. Matthew 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes back in various ways to the theme of, of a new heart or a new life. But in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 22, and that if you're using your pew Bible, you should be able to find it. It's another chapter beyond. Uh, Jesus, Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. And it sounds like a confused metaphor here, but it's true. Your, your eye, without your eye, you don't have light. Even if there's light out there, you don't have light inside. So the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is, the word used here is single. If your eye has a single focus, an unclouded focus, an unspotted focus, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, it's not single, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. And notice how Jesus goes on to say, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. If you're having vision problems, you will struggle to know what should dominate your focus. And you can't live like that for too long. But, but the only point I want you to see here is, is the word means single. There's no cataracts of the soul that confuse the way you look. And then the book of James, chapter 4. James, in two places in that book, and that's... Better tell you where the page is, because you move ahead in your New Testaments. James chapter 4 and verse 8. James actually coins a word under the inspiration of God. He uses it in chapter 1, but he uses it in chapter 4 and verse 8, page 1201, 1201. When he says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Remember, that's necessary if you're going to have a new heart. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And don't say, but I can't draw near to God unless he draws me. Folks, draw near to God, okay? Do what the Lord tells you to do, and you'll find I do it because it's the grace of God. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. There it is. Cleanse your hearts, you double-minded. To have a pure heart, is to be not to be, and, and here's the word James coins, two-souled, two-souled, two driving principles. That's what it is to be double-minded. And not being double-minded is equal to purifying your heart. If I could put it this way, you're, you're all familiar at least with Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Now, Dr. Jekyll was the good guy, Mr. Hyde was the bad guy, but they were the same person. And we all have Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde within us. And James says, to purify yourself, you've got to get rid of Mr. Hyde in one way. Put, get, get him down, get him out of the picture, okay? So, so that, there's that reference. Then let's look at a couple in the Old Testament. One that we just read, Psalm 24 and verse 4. 
Psalm 24 and verse 4. And that's on page 541 in your pew Bibles. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? And the ultimate fulfillment of this is Christ himself. He who has clean hands, outward conduct, and a pure heart. Now what does that mean? Who does not lift up his soul to what is false. There's a sincerity. There's a commitment to truth. That's what a pure heart is. And who does not swear deceitfully. is not a hypocrite. All right, that, that's, that's the idea of, of, of the blood, the spiritual blood that a new heart pumps versus hypocrisy. Remember what Jesus says, woe to you scribes, Pharisees who clean the outside of the cup but not the inside. What does he say next? Hypocrites. A hypocrite's an actor on a stage putting on a show. And then Psalm 86 and verses 11 and 12 that really captures the, the, the prayer that's involved in, in this. Uh, this is page 584, Psalm 86, verses 11 and 12. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. That means give me a single heart, a single allegiance that is fear, is reverence for your name for you. I will give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart. That's a single heart. And I will glorify your name forever. You see a little picture here. Those who are pure in heart will see God. That's the great desire of those who are pure in heart. Now That's why Jesus says, after seeing your eyes got to be single, no man can serve two masters. Otherwise, you're going to hate one, you're going to love the other. You can't do it. We're not made for that any more than our eye is made to see in two different ways. Okay. Now, as with all of the other being attitudes, there's a war within with these things. Romans 7, good things I want to do, things I want to be, I find myself not doing them, not being them. The things that I want to do, I find myself not doing. You, you know, that's Roman Paul speaking of a believer. He doesn't say, oh, wretched man that I was. He says, oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And brothers and sisters, we will wrestle with this all of our days, as you do with all the other Beatitudes. I'm never... I'm never as poor in spirit as I ought to be. I never mourn the way I ought to be. I never, I never am merciful the way I ought to be. That's a given, okay? But this is the way one person described this particular war within, the war to be single-minded in your devotion to God. This person wrote, the Christian life is a walking civil war in which trust and distrust of God wage a constant battle against one another. Wow. Listen to that again. The Christian life is a walking civil war in which trust and distrust of God wage a constant battle against one another. 
What does the author mean? Let me give you some examples. Well, I acknowledge God and his word, or will I accommodate the world and its ways? I'll tell you one area in which we have very divided hearts. The Lord's Day. Not the Lord's Day anymore in our nation. It's anything but. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you'll not do any work. You nor your manservant, nor your maidservant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's, for it's the Sabbath day. Do you acknowledge God and his word? Or do you accommodate the world in its ways? Sadly, this is one of the reasons why why so many young people not part of the church? It's because of a, of a sports team. A sports team called the Sunday Steelers. And they steal even the Lord's professed people. So you get the idea of it. Or let me give you another one. Courage or compromise. It takes courage to follow the Lord faithfully in this particular situation. By God's grace, will I have the courage or will I compromise? Or another one. In every thought, word, and deed, to whom or to what am I paying full allegiance? Who has the reins of my heart? In every thought, word, and deed, to whom or what Am I paying full allegiance? There's a, there's a, it's really a humorous section. I mean, when you think of what it signifies, not very humorous, but, it, but it's, it, it's uh, um, humorous in the way Bunyan puts it in, in Pilgrim's Progress. I'm reading a little more updated version. But uh, a Christian, and, and he's with Hopeful, and they come out of Vanity Fair, and they come now, uh, they, they come now to an individual named by-ends. And you, you'll find out what by-ends means in, in just a moment. Uh, but he's from the town of Fair Speech. And so Christian in Pilgrim's Progress is to by-ends on the way. I've heard of this town of Fair Speech. And from what I can remember, it's said to be a, a wealthy place. And by-ends says, oh yes, I can assure you that it is. And I have many rich friends there. And Christian says, well then... If I may be so bold, uh, tell me who some of these friends are. Now, here's where Bunyan's humor comes in. Bayan says, well, to be honest, almost the whole town, and in particular, my Lord Turnabout, and Lord Time Server, and my Lord Fair Speech, and there is Mr. Smooth Man. Mr. Facing Both Ways. Mr. Anything, and the parson of our parish. Mr. Two Tongues, who was my mother's own brother on my father's side. And, 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 and Christian's interested in, in the, this name. He says, it's not your name. Aren't you called Mr. By-ends of fair speech? And by-ends basically means I'll do or say anything in order to keep peace with anybody. That's the idea of by-ends. And Christian says, were you ever responsible for a situation where people could have 
could have rightly called you by this name? Oh, and he says, never, never. The worst circumstance that Bayan says that might have caused some to call me by this name was when I always had the luck in my judgment to jump in a profitable direction in harmony with the present movement of the times. But if I'm criticized for these events, then let me regard them as a blessing rather than bear a load of hatred against my critics. Well, Christian says, but if you're going to walk with us, then you must go against wind and tide, which, as I understand it, is contrary to your convictions. You must also welcome religion in its rags, as well as when it wears silver slippers. And you accompany pilgrims bound in shackles, as well as when they walk the streets and are applauded. And this is Spian's response. Don't impose this upon me. Don't coerce my faith. You respect my liberty and allow me to travel with you. Mr. Facing Both Ways. And he supposedly has convictions, but in fact, those convictions are abandoned when the going gets rough. Mr. Facing Both Ways. As one person put it, and I, I think this is probably the, the best way to express purity of heart in the, in the blood that's pumped into your system. Purity of heart is to will one thing, the will of God. You have that heart, folks? It makes sense, right? If if Jesus' delight is to do the will of God, I've come to do your will, O God, and he gives you his heart, doesn't it stand to reason you're going to delight to do his will? Purity of heart is to will one thing, the will of God. Now, with that in mind, let me give you a big challenge to this kind of heart in our day. And it comes with gender issues. It comes with issues regarding homosexuality and lesbianism. Again, you know, I do not like using the term gay. I've worked with enough people who struggle with that sin. I know they're not gay. But this is where the big challenge is coming in our culture. To either have a purity of heart that wills one thing, the will of God, or to be Mr. Facing both ways. And here's where the challenge, it's, it's not, it's more of a theoretical thing unless you're on the battlefield. But you find out you have a child. A child who is in the LGBTQ plus category and comes out. And the child lets you know that, that he has a lover, and it's another he, or she has a lover, and it's another she. And then you're told that they want to get married. Now you see how this issue of purity of heart and having the will to one thing, the will of God, becomes a real, real 
challenge. A very popular book that was popularized at a recent conference down in, in Atlanta, Embracing the Journey, A Christian Parent's Blueprint to Loving Your LGBTQ Child, A Christian Parent's Blueprint to Loving Your LGBTQ Child. And it's a very painful book to read. These parents find out that their son is, first of all, attracted to the same gender and then comes out as a homosexual. And these are professed Christian parents. And they wrestle with how to deal with this, as all parents do when they're in this situation. They love that LGBTQ child. They have raised that LGBTQ child. They've sought to give godly convictions to that LGBTQ child. Then how do you deal with this when the child who's now grown up or is growing up is doing things completely contrary to the Word of God and things that, that you know will be hurtful? And the book points out rightly, you show kindness to your child. You don't de-child your child. You don't exclude them from the family. You, you listen to them. You let them open up to you. You open your home to him and to his boyfriend. And all of that is very painfully reflected in this book. And to that, you say, yes, as a Christian, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he's a friend of sinners. Here's the way the book ends, embracing the journey. God designed humans to love one another, and that's true. Our friend to love our friends, our church, and yes, even those who seem like our enemies. And that's true. It's not always easy, but we're made to live together in fellowship, to help one another, to bear one another's burdens, and to encourage those around us to keep going. There's something life-giving about taking the focus off ourselves and helping others, and that's true. Our unexpected journey has brought us to a place where we can be grateful for the opportunity to offer hope to the hopeless, to help others embrace their journey and experience true peace and contentment. One word never mentioned in this book is the word repentance. Never is there a call to those living in sin, loving, gracious, gentle, but bold. Never is there a call to say what you hear in Ezekiel. Repent 
and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die? See, here's the problem with embracing the journey the way it's put in here. Do you embrace the journey when that journey leads to destruction? Yes or no? And it's precisely that dilemma for these, I'm sure, very sincere authors that makes them Mr. Facing both ways. And it's all too common in our culture today because it's easier. It keeps you out of a lot of trouble. And it's very much acceptable to the world. Not a pure heart, folks. Because here's the problem. You can't face both ways for too long. And you'll either stop facing the wrong way or you will stop facing the right way. These aren't facing both ways anymore. Brothers and sisters, Jesus really meant it when he said no man can serve two masters. You're either going to love one, hate the other, or hate one and love the other. I don't want to end on a, a negative note, but you see the point, brothers and sisters, and it's why we're always coming before the Lord to create in me a clean, a pure, sincere heart, O oh God. Let me end, in, because notice the grand incentive that's in here. Blessed under the smile of God are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And, and that does come by faith. As you read the word of God, it is. It's the word of God. And that's how you read it. And, and reading the word of God and the spirit working with you, I'll give you a new spirit. What does it do? That cataracts in your spiritual eyes uh, that are created by the world and its value system the flesh and its proclivity to sin, and the devil who is a liar and a destroyer. The Word of God and the Spirit of God help you to be, behold the purity of God, and that's what gives you a single heart to follow him. Do you give yourself to the Word of God? If you do, you won't read very far before Rather than embracing a journey that leads to destruction, you'll read the word repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And here's the glorious thing. In this life, those cataracts are still there. You've got to always be working on them, okay? But when the Lord separates your soul from your body and takes you to glory, or if we're alive when Jesus comes back, just brings us body and soul to him in a glorified state, that's what you'll see. You'll see God. And there won't be any division anymore. There won't be any cataracts anymore. The world will not have put its drops in your eyes, blurring them. Heaven will be before you, and even the rose-colored glasses, which, which we tend to look at the world, making it discolored, will be taken off. 
But that's a real promise. And I want to ask you if that's your desire. If you're Mr. Facing Both Ways, your desire is to some extent to have the world's smile, which is worldly blessedness. If that's the way you live, you won't see God because you will have made an idol. That's why this is so important, brothers and sisters. And how do you, how, how do you, how do you work day by day? Well, what do you do with the doctors and say, you got some heart issues, what do you do? Well, there's always two things they recommend. You know what they are. Number one, you've got to be careful of your diet. And brothers and sisters, the diet of the Word of God, I think the most beautiful example in our day of dealing with uh, things that can make our hearts compromise is Rosaria Butterfield. And there's an interview with her in the current New Horizons you get today. But, but Rosaria uh, talks about the five lies of our anti-Christian age. She's bold enough to say it, but she says it so graciously and so kindly. And yet she speaks the truth, okay? And there's not Mr. Both Ways, facing both ways with Rosaria Butterfield. That's the model for you folks with your diet. The Word of God, the Word of God, the Word of God, and the Spirit of God. And then exercise. How do you exercise? As you go out in the world, don't be Mr. Facing Both Ways. It's the exercise of how do I speak the truth in love? How do I become all things to all people without being enslaved by that mindset? It's how you go out into the world and speak boldly, truthfully, and graciously at the same time. It's exercise, folks. And P.S., we'll never do it perfectly. But you come before Christ who did do it perfectly, who did ascend into the hill of the Lord and, and is there right now and is absolutely perfect. And he says, uh, get your heart close to mine and I'll get your heart back in sync with mine. Okay, that, that's the way it works. There's a little poem uh, that was composed many, many, many years ago. But oh, it captures this beautifully, what it is to be pure in heart, single-hearted. Direct, control, suggest, this day, all I design or do or say, that all my powers with all their might to your soul glory may unite. That's it. That's what it is to be blessed under the smile of God with a pure heart. And you'll see God. Let's pray. Our God, we come before you with our great need. And here is where, in a real sense, the being attitudes are somewhat like the law. They make us realize our need of grace moment by moment. By nature, and even as we continue dealing in this life with that constant civil war between trust in God and distrust of God, our hearts are never as pure, as single-minded as we would have them be. But, oh God, grant us grace. That's where it's so comforting to know that we need the pacemaker of Jesus' own heart. Give that heart to us moment by moment, and revive that work in us moment by moment, 
We know that you, it is sovereign grace that does that. But we take you at your word to get ourselves a new heart. Grant that, O oh Lord, that we might have with that a little foretaste of seeing you by faith, but that we might have the fulfillment of it when we see you by sight. O oh God, hasten the day for the sake of the only one who was perfectly pure in heart, Jesus our Lord. Amen.